Hello everyone, my name is Jake McGrail and alongside me is Ollie Nicholas of CITR Sports broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. This time of the year is a period of transition. The winter sports are wrapping up their regular seasons and looking ahead to the playoffs, while some of the spring sports are just getting underway. We'll cover all of what happened in the last week, and we also have the second part of my interview with UBC women's basketball coach Aaron McAleenan. But first, let's look at how our basketball teams did in their recent games. With the Canada West playoffs uh, clearly cresting the horizon, our men's basketball team managed to stay in the moment and take care of business in the final weekend game of the regular season. They're playing our sister school in Kelowna. The Thunderbirds put in a workman-like performance and emerged victorious 97-75. to Yeah, UBC Okanagan Heat, they are dead last in the Canada West West Division or the BC Division, however you want to call it. Despite that, they did put a strong effort in against one of the top teams in the conference in UBC. They were within shouting distance of the Thunderbirds through three quarters before UBC widened the gap in the fourth to take it by 22. But given how favored they were against the Heat, not necessarily the most dominant performance for a lot of it. Mm, workman-like. Workman-like, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, James Wood putted along with another 25 points and seven rebounds. Uh, rebounds whilst Carl, uh, whilst Grant Adu uh, played a solid second fiddle, going for 17 points of his own. Carl Foreman led the team in assists with seven to go along with six boards and three steals, but he had only three points on offense. Yeah, one of the players talked about a bit less on the show is Tristan Matthews. Those three names you mentioned, they come up all the time. But Matthews in this game, his performance definitely worthy of some kudos as well. Trailed only Woods and Adu with 12 points, and he led everyone on the team in rebounds bringing in eight as he came a bit close to a double-double there. Mm. While free throws were hit or miss, shooting from distance was a major factor for the Thunderbirds in this one. They finished 9-17, and 17, the first time all season they've hit more than 50% of their three-pointers in a game. Yeah, now it's a bit of a short turnaround for the Thunderbirds. They only played one game this past weekend, and that's because that second game was postponed until tonight against the TRU Wolfpack here at home. I'll be on the call for that game should be a good one. Uh, they will need to wait until the weekend for the playoff seeding to be finalized, but they are guaranteed a top three spot in Canada West, meaning they won't need to be part of the playoff bracket until the quarterfinals, which won't start until uh, March 6th. Their most likely opponent is the Calgary Dinos, who they last played in the playoff semifinals two years ago. An instant classic fourth quarter comeback win for UBC on the road. Um... And moving on to the women's now, uh, here's hoping you didn't buy too much women's basketball stock after last weekend's blowout to the, uh, over the Wolfpack. The Thunderbirds wrapped up their season with road games on Thursday and Saturday against the Timberwolves and the Heat, which were both disappointing losses, 77-65 and 79-43. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a yikes for, uh, for the team to close the regular season. The one positive is that Haley Council was back. She played in both games, was a starter in the first, came off the bench in the second, didn't look too uh, noticeably slowed by her recent injury. And given that the Thunderbirds, they'll be up against it in the playoffs, given given a lot of uh, their recent performances. They'll, they'll need a fully healthy roster to have a shot, and so good that she's back at least. Mm, well, 
Jake. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's where the good news ends. Uh, yeah, uh, we there, there, do we need to talk about all the bad news? <laughs> we, we have to do all the news. I want to be positive, but unfortunately, uh, against UNBC, the Thunderbirds traded blows with their hosts until up until halftime. But the third got away from them, and they couldn't bottle up the Timberwolves offense enough in the final quarter to make inroads. Yeah, Kate Johnson, the captain of the team, did all she could to try and will the T-Birds to victory. She went for 17 points, 4 assists, and 4 steals. Unfortunately, only one other Thunderbird, that being Dina Sturich, hit double digits in points on the night. We bet you never thought... We... Sorry. We bet you never thought we'd miss those nail biters from earlier in the season, but boy, anything would be better than a blowout. Um... The Thunderbirds suffered on Saturday. 43 points scored is easily a team team low for the year. A 36-point margin of defeat is also unmatched this season. You have our permission to change the channel for the next minute or so. Maybe we flew too close to the sun last week when we were talking about how badly that UBC beat TRU. Yeah. We're, we're saying, how, how could they score so few points, have so many turnovers? Well, <laughs> in this game, it was turned around in the other direction. The Heat... Completely outplayed the Thunderbirds, out-rebounded us by 23, nearly tripled our assist count, and uh, shooting percentage, also not pretty easy to expect from a game where UBC only scored 43 points. They shot 28% from the field, and from three-point range, they shot two for 20, just 10%. Fresh off carrying the team on her back, Kate Johnson uh, could recapture none of her mojo, shooting one for 11 and finishing with all of two points. Council was the only Thunderbird to surpass the double-digit barrier in any stat with 12 points. Now, like with the men's team, the seeding not yet finalized for the women's team, but we do know that finishing in the lower ranks of the conference means they will be starting in round one. And coming off this Biggest loss of the season and not having beaten a team other than TRU since November. Coach McAleenan will need to work some miracles with this team to get them in shape to try and compete for some sort of uh, deep playoff run. Now, a team that mostly did better was our women's volleyball team as in their final home matches of the regular season. The Thunderbirds teams took on Oswell, UBC Okanagan Heat. The women split their two matches, including a five-set thriller on Saturday night. The first match from Friday uh, was a little less close as after losing the first set 25 to 23, the Thunderbirds then won three in a row to take the match three to one. Trinity Selecki uh, led the way with 13 kills and no attack errors, along with three digs and two aces. Yeah, Elise Petit came off the bench, played quite well, nine kills on a 389 hitting percentage. And then Bryn Passan had eight kills, seven digs and three aces. UBC as a team was dominant for the service li- from the service line with 14 aces compared to just four for the Heat, and they had 10 team blocks led by Emma Doyen, uh, who had seven. Yeah, the second match it was a roller coaster. I was lucky enough to be there. We'll get to your fantastic Saturday Night Thunderbirds story mm-hmm. uh, in the next section. This was mine. UBC they lost the first set 25-22, battled back from down nine points in the second to win 26-24. Won the third, 25-18. I was thinking, they're cruising, just mm-hmm. like last night. Lose the first, win three in a row. And then UBC Okanagan blew them out 25-16 to in the fourth to force a uh, final set. UBC again fell behind in the fifth, with the Heat having quadruple match points 
up 14 to 10, but UBC scored four in a row to stay alive before the Heat finally went ahead, uh, pulled ahead to win it 18 to 16. Yeah, a little bit deflating to have that massive comeback only to then still fall short mm. in the end. That was also the first time that UBC Okanagan has ever won here on the UBC campus. Oh. I believe it was... 13-0 and 0 or something UBC was you don't against them be before in that. The team. <laughs> that lets that happen. This is the first time in a decade. Historic night. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the side of the Thunderbirds, Passin, she recorded 13 kills, a career-high 16 digs as well. Claire Costarini had 13 kills and 6 blocks. And then Kayla Oxland, she was clutched from the service line in that final set. She finished with 37 assists, 14 digs, and 4 aces. The Thunderbirds are now 8-6, tied with UBC Okanagan for second in the BC division. The good news is, for the final weekend of the regular season, the Thunderbirds play the 1-13 Thompson Rivers, while the Heat play the 13-1 Trinity Western. So, <laughs> The odds of having a better weekend than the Heat and getting second, they're good. Yeah, We don't want to jinx it, but the odds are in our favor. <laughs> Very much so. The men's team, they had a bit of an easier go of things. They beat the Heat twice. They only dropped one set between the two matches as well. Uh, On Friday, the Heat uh, surprised by winning the first set, but then the Thunderbirds responded by winning three straight sets, including a 25-15 in the fourth to close out the win. And Michael Dauhanyuk, he continued his recent very hot streak with 15 kills while hitting 314. He also had seven digs, three blocks, and three aces. Zarli Zaluski was also very efficient with 11 kills on a 521 hitting percentage, as well as four blocks. Perhaps the biggest surprise was Duncan Clark, who came into the rotation after Tyson Smith uh, struggled early on. Clark finished with nine kills, nearly double his previous career high, and three digs whilst hitting uh, a 667. Yeah, Saturday's match, total blowout. UBC won all three sets, scores of 25-20, then 25-16, and then 25-12. to the UBC Okanagan coach, he was so unhappy with his team's performance for the first two sets, he didn't play any of his starters a second the entire third set. Completely benched them. Mm, sending out a message. It, it was de- it was definitely a, I'm conceding this game to send out a message to my team. I was very surprised to see it uh, happen, and obviously that it it, it it didn't cause them to do better in this match. So I'd imagine practice after this weekend was very interesting for the Heat. I mean, I respect it. Sometimes you just gotta make make your point, but. You know, I don't know the guy either, so... <laughs> we, we can't speak to his general coaching practices. Exactly. But it's definitely definitely a unique move. Mm. Yeah, uh, Cole Brownsburg uh, took on a big offensive load in this one with 14 kills and 3 digs whilst hit- hitting 440. Uh, Dohaniak had 11 kills, 3 digs and 3 aces. UBC as a team hit 384 compared with 99 for the Heat and had 7 aces compared to just 1. Yeah, and UBC, they want both matches this weekend, still with a bit of a limited team. Matt Neves and James Vincent did not play in either match. Colton Liu didn't play on Friday and just played limited minutes on Saturday. He clearly wasn't 100% because he was playing in a different position than usual, playing in an only defensive role and not in an offensive role. It was his senior night, which is, I'd imagine, is why they brought him out there and he was able to play a little bit, but clearly not a 100% just yet. Mm-hmm. The Thunderbirds are now 9-5 and five and can lock up the second uh, place seed in the division with just one more win. They also play TRU on the road, who are 5-9. and nine. Uh, Moving on to hockey now, uh, the T-Birds women's hockey team uh, welcomed the University of 
Regina Cougars uh, to the Doug Mitchell Thunderbirds Sports Centre this past week. The Cougars got the victory on Friday with a 2-1 win, but then the Thunderbirds took their sweet revenge on Saturday with a dominant 6-1 victory. Yeah, and unfortunately, before we get to that sweet, sweet revenge, we do have to acknowledge that the Cougars did get a win on Friday mm. over the Thunderbirds. Uh, despite dominating puck possession and shot attempts, the T-Birds, they were only able to score one goal in the game. We have to give a uh, special Thunderbird I mention. Someone that deserves it. I always like to do this where possible. <laughs> and this week, uh, it goes to the Cougars goaltender, Arden Kliwa. Kliwer, I guess. We're trying to give you an honorable <laughs> mention. Uh, you did a great job. Um, the goaltender turned away an astounding 40 shots in the game. Yeah. Mackenzie Kordick, the only one able to get one past her. Her goal tied the game at 1-1 at the start of the third. But unfortunately, the third didn't go as planned after that. No, I think uh, the Thunderbirds were feeling the frustrations of, of the match. And they gave away a string of three penalties in the period, inviting pressure from the Cougars. During that stretch, uh, Jordan Kubita found the opening uh, for the Cougars with a rocket into the top corner, which would unfortunately secure the 2-1 to one victory. However, as we mentioned, Saturday went a lot better. Mm-hmm. The Thunders, they didn't let those frustrations from the previous day carry over to Saturday. They put on a dominant display right from the start. Yeah, Grace Elliott got the birds on the board halfway through the opening period, followed by an assist to uh, Kareen Sandilands to make it 2-0. Yeah, and then Shenrit Bassi, Joel Fiala linked up in the second period to make it 3-0. T-Birds, they left no doubt in the final period with three more goals from Ireland Parrott, Ashley McFadden, and Ryland McKinnon. Dominant blowout. You love to see it. Mm. Yeah, I quickly mentioned that. Uh, the Cougars got one back on the power play. We've got to mention that. Um, but this win meant that UBC finished second in Canada West with a record of 14-6. and six. They've earned a first-round bye and the advantage of hosting... a. Uh, three-game semi-final series on the weekend of March the 4th. They will play one of Alberta, Manitoba, or Saskatchewan. Okay, on to the men's. Uh, this is a game that I went to. Uh, so the men's hockey game, uh, the men's hockey team played the Trinity Western Spartans in a close game that went to overtime. I was at, in attendance at the game on Saturday with my newfound hockey knowledge. New I, expert. I could feel the tension. And I was very happy about that. I wasn't just a passenger. I could feel that this was a close game. Uh, like the child that got hit <laughs> on the head with the puck, I won't be forgetting this game for some time. For your information, the kid was fine. And I'm sure he accepted the headshot was worth <laughs> it as he marveled at his souvenir hockey puck on the way home. We wish you all the best. <laughs> uh, anyway, enough about head trauma. Let's talk about the game. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he can pretend that he's a, a good luck charm. Yeah. But uh, the game itself fiercely contested from the start. Some big hits from both teams. The Spartans, they did take the lead in the first with an opening goal from Cade McMillan. Not an ideal start, but... UBC responded. No, I didn't see it coming, to be honest. It was a very rough start, but they got the goal. Uh, after trailing uh, one to nothing through 20 minutes, the Thunderbirds rallied in the second to stake out a one-goal lead at the 12-32 mark with goals from Logan Foster and Austin Glover. Yeah, but that lead lasted less than two minutes, however, however thanks to a goal from the Spartans' Braden Brown. Then UBC took the lead again through Jonathan Smart, who capitalized on a cross-ice return feed from the captain, Tyler Sandu. 
But again, the Spartans fought back, taking the game to overtime after another equaliser at the 8-11 mark of the third. And Ollie in his seat, losing his mind at all these goals, the back-and-forth action, mm-hmm. heading into overtime. Hard to know who had the momentum there, but with the home crowd behind them, UBC clinched the victory. Chris Douglas was the one who ended the game with his team leading 12th goal of the season. Yeah, I say, I, you know, you didn't know who had the momentum because I think that was kind of true in such a, a back and forth game. But I did believe, I think, <laughs> I think the Thunderbirds had the edge throughout the game that dominated possession a bit more, had way more shots. So I was always kind of confident, but in sudden death. Like, I didn't see the first goal coming for the Spartans. So, same thing could have happened again. Uh, after the victory, the Birds finished second in Canada West with a record of 14-5-1. Uh, and, and like the women's, they earned a first-round bye. They will face the highest remaining uh, seed from the two-quarter-final series featuring MRU hosting Regina and Saskatchewan hosting Calgary. So, two great regular seasons for our Thunderbirds hockey teams. Hopefully, they can continue in the playoffs. And now moving from all those teams that are wrapping up the regular seasons to a team that just started, the softball season began with the Thunderbirds traveling south of the border to take on NCAA Division II school Central Washington University Wildcats. Well, the first game was a blowout after the Thunderbirds were down 4 to nothing after the fourth inning, then gave up another four runs in the fifth, hitting the mercy rule to end the game two innings early. If a team is up by more than eight or more than five after an innings, it ends. Yeah, quite unfortunate to have a mercy rule loss in the first game of the Mm. season. CWU pitcher Rainey Harris dominated. She only gave up two hits, and on top of that, she hit one UBC batter with a pitch, but otherwise, no other base runners for the Thunderbirds the whole game. UBC, meanwhile, gave up eight hits, five walks, and had three wild pitches as well. The second game was a lot closer, and the Thunderbirds took the lead in the first innings, when Nicole Silas uh, hit a two-run single. Avery Hilbert then uh, hit a two-run single off her own in the second to make it 4-1 to UBC. However, the Wildcats, they then made a comeback after scoring once in the third. They scored three more runs in the fifth to make it 5-4, and that was how the game ended after two more scoreless innings. UBC was also supposed to play a doubleheader against NWAC school, uh, at Yakima College yesterday, but unfortunately both of those games were cancelled for reasons that have been unannounced. Yeah, hopefully there's not some sort of COVID issues mm-hmm. and there's something else going on, but just two games played for the Thunderbirds, and that will serve as the only non-conference exhibition games that they, they'll play because they begin CCC conference play this weekend as they head to Ashland, Oregon to take on Southern Oregon University. They've only beaten once since 2015, so maybe not a great team to have to play against first, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested, uh, just quick, the, so that this is across the board at this play. Yes. Interesting. Yes, the uh, baseball and softball teams are two programs that play basically only American schools because it's just not a thing in U sports. Right. Okay. Like UBC is one of the few schools in the province in like the area that has this sort of higher level varsity mm-hmm. baseball and softball teams. The, the the track teams as well up until a couple of years ago played in the CCC the Cascade Collegiate Conference which is Washington State, Oregon, some California, Idaho, the sort of Pacific Northwest type of area. I think I think it's good to go and represent UBC 
Outside of yeah. Canada, I think that's a great thing. Uh, moving on to baseball, uh, since we last talk- talked about baseball, it's been another four games for our boys down in the Golden State. Taking a look at the scores, you can easily get a case of deja vu, as once again the Thunderbirds lost three in a row before, in- before emerging victorious in the fourth. At least these guys know how to stay optimistic. <laughs> Game one, a wild 13-12 to win for the University of Antelope Valley Pioneers. Lopers, they led 11-1 to after the fourth inning. Not great. And then UBC scored 11 runs in a row by the seventh to take a 12-11 lead and then gave up that lead to take the loss. Sean Hep, uh, Hepner, so fly in his last uh, start against the Red Hawks, gave up five earned runs in two-thirds of the first inning. The baseball gods giveth and the baseball (laughs) gods taketh away. Baseball's most interesting man, Mike Fitzsimmons, had four RBIs. Yeah, game two, that one was ugly. The pitching, again, not quite there as UBC lost 14-5. to Thunderbirds, they led 5-3 to early thanks to some uh, stellar slinging from Ryan Badel, who struck out seven in five innings of work, but relief pitching let the birds down as they sought to exact revenge on the Valley men. Uh, the UAVPs uh, completed the sweep in Game 3, but at least the scoreline was a bit more respectable, 8-7. to seven. In a seven-innings game, the Thunderbirds scored six in the final frame, to grab a one uh, a one run lead, they promptly lost. That saw that seventh saw two Thunderbirds score on wild pitches. Yeah, quite unfortunate holding a lead in all three of the games. Two of them holding a lead late after big comebacks, and then it just falls a bit flat. Mm. But uh, after getting around, or rather after getting pushed around by those lords of Lancaster over the weekend, the Thunderbirds they found some life against the Sacramento State Hornets yesterday winning 4-3. to three. Brandon Hoop looked solid all week at, all week long, and in this one, he had two hits and three RBIs to help his team rescue some dignity, at least pulling out one win in the week. Starting tomorrow, it's four games in three days for UBC. They play uh, William Jessup University in each of those contests. The series playing out in Rockland, California. After this set, the Thunderbirds remain in the Pacific Northwest until May. Get that time whilst you can, boys. (laughs) Not too many more games coming up in Arizona and California. Uh, Now we're going to take a quick break for some ads and PSAs. When we come back, we'll have the second part of our interview with UBC women's basketball coach Aaron McAleenan. The Sweetgrass Clan is a voluntary-based coalition that provides safety, security, and essential resources to the most vulnerable members of the downtown Eastside community. In addition to providing food and safety, the Sweetgrass Clan also connects people with advocates for housing, mental health counseling, and drug and alcohol detox. The Sweetgrass Clan is always looking for new volunteers to support the downtown Eastside community and are able to offer volunteers grocery gift cards and bus tickets as honorariums. If you would like to offer your volunteer support to the Sweetgrass Clan, you can reach out via email at abfrontdoor.org or visit abfrontdoor.org. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass renovations. Unfair rent increases. 
What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. And as mentioned, we have the second part of my interview with women's basketball coach Aaron Magalina now. In this part, we talked about how this season has gone. It was recorded before the most recent losses this past weekend, uh, as well as how she approaches other parts of her job, like recruiting and a lot more. Now on the court, it's been a bit of a tough season for the team so far with a record of 6-10 and 10 in Canada West play to this point. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the, the positives that you've taken from this season so far, and what are some of the biggest things you feel you guys need to work on, whether the rest of the season and, or in the offseason? Yeah. Um, I think that, first of all, in terms of the positives, uh, when you look at uh, our record in those 10 losses, uh, I believe we've had one uh, one game so far that we've lost um, by double digits and everything else um, is less than that. Um, and, and a lot of those games, you know, whether it was a double overtime game, a buzzer beater, a single overtime game. Uh, so we are in every single game. Right. So I. Now on the court, one game so far that we've lost um, by double digits, and everything else um, is less than that. Um, and and a lot of those games, you know, whether it was a double overtime game, a buzzer beater, a single overtime game. Uh, so we are in every single game, right? So I, I really like how hard we're competing and the fact that we aren't giving up, you know, and we're continuing to really do our best to try to find ways. Uh, I do. I would say that. We're overall a younger, um, especially when you look at historically uh, where UBC women's basketball uh, have typically been, uh, you know, that usually there's at least that kind of handful of third, fourth and fifth years um, who continue to kind of move their way up through those roles of whether it's being kind of like the top leading scorers um, and or your top defenders. And so I think that, you know, for us, you know, I think that, yes, Kate Johnson and Haley Council and Maddie Legault all played uh, roles in the last season that UBC competed. Uh, none of them had as big of a roles or relied upon to be the ones uh, like we've had to rely upon them this year. And of course, in first semester, we unfortunately had to play without Maddie Legault, um, who, again, like in terms of starts, uh, has the, had the most experience coming in this year, uh, at, especially as a forward. Uh, so again, I, for in terms of our youth, like the, the number of first years that we have and the the opportunities that they've been given, you know, we've pretty consistently been having one first year start a lot of games this year, and then also play significant minutes. And I would say, especially two first years 
um, have played even actually probably three when you think about it, have played quite uh, a few minutes. Uh, so I think that that's uh, great in terms of being bright for the future. Uh, in terms of things to work on, you know, I, like in our game this past Friday is a big sign of that, right? You know, we're up 14 at halftime against UFB, who's, you know, number two in the BC uh, division. And we were playing really well offensively and defensively. But then we get into third quarter. And I think we just, in terms of how we, you know, both mentally, but then even tactically, how we approach once things get a little bit closer. So whether it's, you know, now they hit a shot or two. Um, we probably get a little bit further away from the game plan in terms of what we're trying to do uh, and the pressure rises a little bit. So now the types of shots that we're taking are not the same shots that we were taking in the first half and we're kind of getting away from what was working. Um, and so I will always say is that it's not for lack of effort in terms of like that fight and compete. You know, I still think that we defend and we play super hard and we're trying to get out and run and push the ball in transition. Uh, but that when we're not scoring, it's, I think, that discipline of us sticking to what the game plan is in terms of how we want to look to move the ball and the shots that we want to take. Uh, and then equally, when you're not scoring, it does become harder to defend. But I think having that discipline of sticking to uh, our game plan in terms of, you know, we play kind of um, that pack line, gap line defense. Uh, so trying to stay disciplined, continue to do that. Well, that was something you did very well. Uh, in your last game on senior night against TRU was a lot of havoc, a lot of forcing of turnovers, mm -hmm. very, uh, very aggressive defense, a lot of doubles way out in the perimeter. Is that the type of style you would like to envision the team playing that sort of super aggressive style of uh, defense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, you probably can't tell necessarily on Zoom, but I'm not very tall. Uh, and, and I also, uh, my dad was my coach for the majority of my actually like elementary, middle school, high school career. And so I think that as a player, um, I never wanted anybody to ever think that the only reason I was getting to start or playing time was just because my dad was my coach. And so, you know, I think that work ethic and uh, definitely at the defensive end in terms of, you know, just hustle and grit, that that was always a priority for me. And all coaches, uh, well, especially the good ones, stay true to their personality. And so I, I definitely want our team to be that, you know, aggressive defensive team. Uh, but I also think that especially in terms of our personnel, it plays to our advantage to be able to uh, play aggressive defense so that we can create some easier scoring opportunities in transition. Because um, as I'm sure you could tell, you know, when we can get out and get some two-on-ones or some three-on-twos, uh, you know, it, it's a much easier scoring opportunity for us uh, than we, when we necessarily have to kind of walk the ball up and get into some five on five. And so I thought either through man and or through zone, especially on Saturday, it was evident that we did a really good job of getting some uh, some steals and causing some turnovers that then led to some great advantage situations in transition. Now, one thing I'm curious of when it comes to recruiting, because that is obviously a massive part of coaching at the school level when you have these players only for a shorter amount of time than for professional teams and you have to continually keep bringing in new players. So when you're looking at who you might want to bring in, whether for this next class in future years, now that you're establishing yourself as the UBC coach, are you looking at it as these are some players that I think are the most talented, I really want to try and bring them in because of that? Or are you, th are you thinking from the lens of 
who I think they're really talented, but I'm not sure if they want fit this system exactly. And you're prioritizing that more. Yeah. So I actually think it's a little bit of both. And I, and I would add that I still think that in recruiting, uh, when you're the coach at UBC, you know, first and foremost, you have to still look at the academic fit. Um, you know, UBC is, you know, number one or number two academically, you know, for decades now in Canada. And so I think really ensuring that we are finding those students um, who have the skills to be able to also be successful here academically. Uh, assuming that that's taken care of, uh, I think it's a little bit of, first of all, you need to still find the best players. And so when I say that as in like you still need the scorers, right? You still need the pure shooter. Um, you still need the the like a bigger post player or you know somebody who has that inside presence. So you still need those pieces. But then for me, right, knowing that especially say defensively, if we're trying to be aggressive and play up tempo and and more so this year, you've probably seen it more in the half court as opposed to the full court. And that's been again just based on. Uh, personnel that we have, I would prefer to also be able to, uh, you know, I'll say wreak that same kind of havoc with some full court pressure defense. Uh, but you have to have uh, the like the athletes that are going to fit that system. So I think that, you know, when even when I think of the, the four girls that we have committed right now uh, to come in for next year, um, you know, A, uh, when we watch them play, like they on their own like to play up-tempo and aggressive defense um, and are pretty aggressive, you know, on the ball uh, and or as interceptors in terms of playing off the ball. Uh, but then, you know, they also bring their own uh, like keys that we need. So, you know, one of them is a true point guard, which we really need that true point guard being able to come in you know, I actually think you need a point guard almost in every single recruiting class because uh, you can never have too many. But, you know, again, having that skill set and that drive of wanting to and being able to create for others. Um, and then we, we have like a 6-2 forward who can play on the outside and play inside. And, you know, this year, uh, most of our forwards who I would say play the most minutes are actually likely pretty undersized. Um, you know, we, we don't have necessarily like that six, three or six, four forward, who's the big presence inside that we're kind of trying to stay close to the hoop. You know, our forwards are kind of, you know, I mean, five eleven to six, two, uh, which then allows us to be a little bit more aggressive in switching a lot of actions, especially when you have those mobile uh, players. And, and again, that's what I would say, like our 6'2 girl that we're bringing in for next year is, you know, she's pretty mobile and is used to playing on the perimeter. Um, and so I think that that's super important for us. And then we have a 5'10 kind of guard forward that we're bringing in the same thing. She's versatile and able to like defends really well on the perimeter, but can also play physical inside. Um, and then another actually uh, 6'1 uh, lefty uh, from Winnipeg, uh, who same thing kind of probably has played more high post and closer to the basket, but uh, I would say moves well enough that has that ability to be able to, you know, use her length. Um, yeah. So I, so I, I know it's, it is a little bit of both. You're, you're trying to find yes, people that fit your system, but you also want to be able to bring in those, like those high level top players, uh, knowing that regardless of the system, you know, I'm going to be able to, 
slightly manipulate what we are doing to ensure that we're playing to our team strengths. Earlier when you were talking about how the season has gone so far, mentioned there's been a number of very close losses this season must be very frustrating for the players especially going through that like multiple times in a row or like in back-to-back -back weeks so yeah. as the coach how do you approach managing the team after that whether immediately afterwards and practices yeah. after that are you more hands-on really in there working to try and keep like spirits up do what you need to do or do you take more of a step back and let them go work through it themselves yeah i think a couple things i think first of all often after games uh i overall don't like to say too too much and and my reasoning partially is because i've found that no matter what after a game especially if it hasn't gone as you wanted um emotions are usually pretty high and people are pretty internal. So no matter what the message is that you're trying to get across, it can be hard for it to be received. So I think that as much as possible after games like that, we are trying to focus on trying to bring out whatever the positives were that we saw, um, potentially trying to highlight, you know, hey, like this is one area that I think that we need to improve on based on what we showed in that game. Um, but really trying to focus on, hey, did we, did we continue to work hard and not give up, which is typically what's happening in those games. And so let's be proud of that, acknowledge that. And then, you know, whether it's the next day or if it was a Saturday game and we're coming in on Monday, now we can come in and watch that on video, you know, on, on Monday to be able to see, you know, what was it that went well and where were the areas uh, that we needed to be better, right? So, you know, again, was it an end of game situation where we either made the wrong read in terms of maybe we made the wrong call in terms of what uh, like somebody called for us to run? Maybe we didn't defend the actions the way we were supposed to, um, but that we really want to come back in and watch that on film uh, so that we can help learn from that. And then on top of that, uh, I would just say we then simulate all of those end of game situations then in practice that week, right? So whether it's okay, now we're playing a two-minute game as if it's the last two minutes of the quarter. We've set it up so, you know, one team's up three or down three or, you know, whatever similar situation we had been in and, you know, in the foul count and, and all of that. So we're just trying to then re-rep it so that uh, the players are in those pressure situations in practice um, and are more conditioned to have to then make those um make those decisions. So they're going to feel more confident when they're back in that situation uh, in a game. And when it comes to those practices, uh, all the games, what is it that's your favorite part or some of your favorite parts of coaching? What is it that makes you want to come to the gym in the morning and work with these players? Yeah, honestly, for me, it's all the relationships uh, with the student athletes and then just really being able to see their growth and development. Like I think that, so an example, I guess, would be, you know, if we've really been struggling um, with making the read as to, um, like, let's just say off of a ball screen of making the read on how to properly attack when they are uh, defending it a certain way. And then now in practice, you know, that player makes the right read, right? And just being able to kind of celebrate with that player 
that for them to be able to see how, you know, for either for the last couple of days or the last couple of weeks, they were really struggling with whatever that read was. And now, now, and now they were finally able to make that right read, right? Or, you know, if, if we have players who, um, you know, maybe they were struggling at being able to finish at the rim through contact, right? And so we've, of course, been consistently working on different ways for them to be able to improve that. And then within those pressure situations, then they're able to have success finishing through contact. Like, I think it's all of those little moments um, that are kind of what coaching is about. Uh, and then I think even on the bigger picture of, you know, at the end of the day, I'm trying to teach uh, and develop their life skills through sport. So of course we're trying to work on, you know, their confidence, um, and their communication skills and understanding that they have to, you know, advocate for themselves. Uh, so then just, you know, when you finally have that player who, you know, comes up and advocates for themselves or for a teammate, you know, in a certain situation within practice, like those are the kind of things that kind of give you the goosebumps and you're so happy because you know that they're going to be able to take those skills and go on and, you know, be able to navigate themselves through whatever journey they choose after uh, they get their degree to be able to be successful in life. Now, as mentioned earlier, Deb Hubind was in charge of the UC women's basketball program for well over 20 years, really putting her own stamp on what UBC women's basketball was. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't know how long exactly you'll be here at UBC, but what will or what will hopefully the stamp of an Aaron McAleenan program look like in your eyes? Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, building um, young women who are empowered to go on and be successful within their communities. Uh, I think uh, also just UBC women's basketball having a great connection and tie to the UBC community, but also I would say to the Vancouver basketball community and trying to positively impact, you know, young girls and getting them involved in sport and or basketball uh, so that we can continue to kind of, you know, use our platform um, to help uh, the, the greater community. And then I think just basketball wise, I think it's, you know, I'm a super passionate person. And so I think, you know, trying to just create that positive energy and excitement around a program that then will continue to bring um, an exciting environment in War Memorial for people wanting to come and support us and watch us be uh, successful. Uh, but that then that also kind of builds it back to then, you know, then the, the young women on the team are able to be those leaders within the community uh, because of the, uh, the platform that they have, uh, like in the gym. And you obviously have a lot to think about as the coach of the, the team and the leader of the program, as mentioned, there's the recruiting, there's the off-season work, in-season, all the practices and games, making plans for what the team will look like in the near future. So how far ahead are you thinking generally, either right now or mm -hmm. how far ahead will you be thinking once we're into the off-season? Yeah, I, I actually always say that January, February, in my mind, and even March probably are the hardest times, in my opinion, because there are so many different 
hats or things that you're juggling, right? Uh, you know, as much as, of course, we're getting into crunch time, like this week we're on the road for two games that really we need to win both of those games. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I have to be confirming plans for what we're doing in the off season. I already have to confirm, you know, uh, exhibition plans for next season. You know, we've got summer camps going on in, uh, in the summer and we need to have all the plans for those finalized, you know, cause registration opens and, and then you're trying to tie in, you know, when, when can we have alumni events? And especially because of, you know, the pandemic, we haven't been able to do a lot of things that we've done in the past in person. Uh, and so you, it's kind of you're juggling it all. I think if you're thinking specifically, like how far ahead do we have to plan in terms of recruiting or the complement of the team? I mean, you know, we are fortunate that we've already signed four girls uh, in the 2022 class, you know, that will come in um, this coming fall. Uh, but really, we're also already trying to be on top of the 2023 class and then at least identifying the 2024 or 2025 class in terms of you know, based on who we are projecting that we would have graduating in those years, you're trying to plan ahead to identify, you know, the top players, yes, in BC, but really across the country. Um, and through COVID, it has definitely made things a bit more challenging in terms of not being able to get out and see as many of those pieces. Uh, but then the challenge, I would say, is that you can have all of those great plans for what you foresee and then either an injury or some other big life change maybe happens for somebody, uh, which then, you know, throws a wrench into those plans. And so, you know, it's then also about having to be uh, like adaptable and, and being able to kind of pivot and make that change based on uh, what happens. That's all of the, the questions that I have for, uh, for you today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I uh, let you go for your obviously a very busy week ahead for you, the end of the regular season here? You know, I, I would just say, Jake, A, I, I really appreciate the time um, to, that you put in to, for this interview. I appreciate that clearly you did your research at the time. <laughs> no, again, it, it really genuinely does. It means a lot. Uh, but I also just think just in terms of, you know, your support of, you know, UBC sports, UBC women's basketball uh, and our program. Um, yeah, again, can't thank you enough for making the time to uh, to have the conversation and to put a lot of time into the questions. So thanks for your time today. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. This has been Coach Aaron McLeanan of UBC Women's Basketball. And I hope that you have a good rest of your night and I hope that the games this weekend go well for you. Thanks, Jake. Thank you again to Aaron McAlini for coming on the show. Now, unfortunately, as we know, those games this past weekend did not end up growing as great as we might have hoped for the team. But hopefully the playoffs can be a somewhat different story. Now, before we wrap up for this week, we have a couple of other quick pieces of news to share. Um, so the men's field uh, hockey team uh, beat the West Coast Kings FHC 4-2 on Sunday and they now sit fifth out of nine teams in the BC Premier Division. Yeah, and then finally, our UBC golf teams, they were supposed to begin their first tournament of 2022 yesterday at the Slotnick Open here in Vancouver. Unfortunately, it's been postponed. Hopefully, they'll be able to get their spring season underway on March 6th at the Vikes Canada West Spring Shootout in Victoria, but... Obviously, COVID pending for a lot of uh, events taking place that are scheduled to take place at this time.
Mm, yeah, and uh, moving on to what's happening next week, like Jake just mentioned, the golf has been postponed. But this evening, the men's basketball team is in action versus Thompson River University. That's at 6pm this evening. Then tomorrow, uh, again, golf postponed. Uh, but the baseball at William Jessup University in California, that's at 12pm. Uh, moving on to Friday, we've got the women's rugby sevens team back in action. Uh, versus the University of Fraser Valley. We've got the baseball team in action again uh, versus at Jessup, wait, baseball against William Jessup University, softball at Southern Oregon University. The women's rugby sevens team will also play Trinity Western University uh, and they will also play the University of Alberta. Uh, the men's volleyball team is at the Thompson River University uh, and the women's volleyball is also at Thompson's River University. It's good to see a lot of sports back. But <laughs> it's a lot to go through. They pile up reading them out. Um, the baseball is on again on Saturday, uh, again at William Jessup University. The softball also again at uh, Southern Oregon University. Uh, the men's volleyball at Thompson Rivers University uh, and the men's rugby is back versus Capilano uh, Rugby Club, which should be good to see them back. And then the women's volleyball are also in action at Thompson Rivers University. Moving on to Sunday, uh, we just have one game on Sunday. Uh, men's field hockey is back at the Surinder Lions. Uh, so, yeah, good to see them back as well. Yeah, unfortunately... Likely won't end up knowing a ton about what happens there, but the other sports we will. And we'll obviously be covering all of that on next week's show. And next week, we should also have our co-host Mike Liu back. He is back in Vancouver from uh, his time in Beijing as part of Team Canada for the Olympics. And so we'll be talking, uh, hopefully, with him about all of that as well. But with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news and stories is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is the All Access Pass. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail and Ollie Nicholas with contributions from Corey Branson. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.